The Pilgrim Carmenita, a legendary romance. Chapter 1 The Buddha Revisits the City of the Five Hills Thus have I heard. The time came when the lifespan of the Lord Buddha was drawing to an end, and journeying from place to place in the land of Magadha, he came to Rajagaha. Thus it is written in the Buddhist sutras of ancient India. As the master drew near to the city of the five hills, day was almost over. The benevolent rays of the evening sun lay along the green rice fields and meadows of the far-reaching plain as if they were emanations from a divine hand extended in blessing. Here and there, billowing clouds, a purest gold dust it seemed, rolled and crept along the ground, showing that farm workers and oxen were plodding wearily homeward from their labour in the fields. And the lengthening shadows cast by isolated groups of trees were bordered by a halo, radiant with all the colours of the rainbow. Framed in a wreath of blossoming gardens, the embattled gateways, terraces, cupolas and towers of the capital shone forth delicately clear as in some ethereal vision, and a long line of rocky outcrops, rivalling in colour the topaz, the amethyst and the opal, were patterned into an enamel of incomparable beauty. Moved by the beauty of the landscape, the Buddha stayed his steps. A quiet joy welled up within him as his heart greeted those familiar forms bound up with so many memories. The grey horn, the broad vale, the seer's crag, the vulture's peak, whose noble summit towers, roof-like over all the rest. And then there was Vibhara, the mountain of the hot springs, under whose shadow, in the cave beneath the Satapani tree, the young homeless wanderer had found his first retreat, his first resting place on the final journey from Sangsara to Nirvana. For when, in that now remote time, while still young, a black-haired young man in the flower of his youth, in the prime of life, though his mother and father wished otherwise and grieved with tearful faces, he shaved off his hair and beard, put on the ochre robe, and went forth from the home life into homelessness. He had left his royal father's house in the northern country of the Sakyas, and had turned his steps towards the valley of the Ganga. And there, under the shadow of lofty Vibhara, he had allowed himself his first lengthy stay, going every morning into Rajagaha for alms food. It was at that time also, and in that very cave, that the young Bimbisara, king of Magadha, had visited him, seeking to persuade him to return to the home of his fathers and to the life of the world although his efforts had been in vain. At length the royal visitor, strangely moved by the words of the young ascetic, had felt the first tremblings of a new faith that later made him a follower of the Buddha. Fifty years had passed since that day, and in the interval he had changed not only the course of his own life, but also that of the world. How vast the difference between that past, when he dwelt in that humble cave and sat beneath the Satapani tree, and the present. Then he was simply a seeker, one struggling for liberation. Terrible spiritual contests lay before him. Six long years of self-inflicted mortification, inhuman agonies that were as sickening as they were fruitless, just the description of which made the flesh of even the stoutest-hearted listeners creep. Eventually, having risen above all such self-torturing asceticism, through profound meditation, he had reached the light, the realization of nirvana had left the conflict behind him and was dedicated to the enlightenment of all living beings. 
Filled with the divine compassion, he became a supreme and perfect Buddha. Those had been the years in which his life had resembled a changeful morning in the rainy season. Dazzling sunshine alternating with deepest gloom. As the monsoon piles cloud above cloud in towering masses and the death-laden thunderstorm comes growling nearer, but now his life was filled with the same calm, sunny peace that lay upon the evening landscape, a peace that seemed to grow ever deeper and clearer as the sun's disk dipped towards the horizon. For him too, sunset, the close of life's long day, was at hand. He had finished his work. The dispensation of the Dharma had been established on sure foundations and the liberating teaching had been proclaimed to all humankind. Many monks and nuns of blameless life and transcendent knowledge, and both women and men lay followers, were now fully capable of sustaining this realm of truth and upholding and spreading his teachings. And, even as he stands there, there abides in his heart as a result of the reflections of this day spent in solitary travelling the inalienable knowledge. For you the time is coming, and soon, when you shall depart from here and leave this world which you, and so many who have followed you, have transcended and there will be the peace of final nirvana. And looking over the land spread out before him, with a joyful recollection within which there lay a note of deep poignancy, he bade this beloved land farewell. What beauty you possess, Rajagaha, city of the five hills! How lovely your landscapes! How richly blessed your fields! How gladdening your wooded glades, gleaming with waters! How stately your clustering hills of rock! For the last time I now look down upon your graceful borders from this, the fairest of all places from which your children love to gaze upon your face. Only once more, on the day when the Tathagata goes forth from here and looks back from the crest of that far mountain ridge, shall he see you again, beloved valley of Rajagaha? After that, never more. And still the master stood until finally only two structures of all in the city before him towered in the golden sunlight. One, the highest pinnacle of the palace from which King Bimbisara had first espied him, when as a young and unknown ascetic he had passed that way, and by his noble bearing called himself to the notice of the king of Magadha. The other, the dome-like superstructure of the great temple in which, in the years before his teaching, had delivered the people from bloody superstition, thousands upon thousands of innocent animals, had been annually slaughtered in honour of some deity. Finally, even the pinnacles of the towers slipped down into the rising sea of shadow and were lost to view, and only the cone of golden parasols still glowed. Rising one above another, they crowned the dome of the temple, suspended as if in mid-air, flashing and sparkling as the red glow deepened against the dense, cobalt blue background of the tall treetops. At this point the master caught sight of the still somewhat distant goal of his journey, for the treetops he saw were those of the mango grove on the farther side of the town, the gift of his disciple Jivaka, the king's physician, in which a well-appointed monastery provided the monastic community with a residence that was both peaceful and simple. To this home of the order, the Sangha, the Buddha had sent on the monks who had accompanied him, about two hundred in number, under the leadership of his cousin and faithful attendant Ananda. Since he had been inclined towards tasting the delight of a day's solitary wandering, and he was also aware that a band of young monks from the west, led by his great disciple, the wise Sariputra, would arrive in the mango grove at sunset. In his mind's eye, capable of picturing the unfolding of events in all their details, he went over the scenes that would be enacted. He saw those arriving exchange friendly greetings with the monks already there. 
saw them conducted to resting places and huts in the forest, their robes and arms bowls being taken from them. And he heard all this take place in a racket of noise and loud conversation, like the crowds of fisherfolk down at the landings quarrelling over their spoils. He knew this to be no exaggeration. And to one who loved silence and serenity, and disliked clamour, as does the solitary lion in the jungle, the thought was doubly uninviting of being involved in such bustle after the delight of travelling alone and the blessed peace of the evening landscape. So he determined, as he went on his way, that he would not go through the city to the mango grove, but would rest for the night in any house in the nearest suburb in which he could find shelter. Meanwhile, the flaming gold of the western heavens had died down in burning orange tints, and these in turn had melted into a blaze of the fieriest scarlet. Round about him the green fields deepened and grew more luminous, as though the earth were an emerald lit up from within. But already a dreamy violet haze enveloped the horizon, while a mysterious purple flood, whether light or shadow no one could say, rolled in from every side, rising and sinking, filling all space, dissolving fixed outlines and combining fragments, sweeping near objects away and bringing closer those that were distant, causing everything to undulate and waver in trembling uncertainty. Startled by the footsteps of the solitary wanderer, a fruit-bat unhooked itself from the branch of a black solitary, and spreading its leathery wings, swept with a shrill cry away through the dusk to pay a visit to the orchards of the area. And thus, by the time that the master had reached the outskirts of Rajagaha, the day was far spent, and shadowy night was at hand.